Hello and welcome to the FEZ Show. Today is the 21st of April 2020 and we have some great topics to talk about today. Um, if you've been enjoying the content, remember you can hit that like and subscribe button. It really helps us out and we all appreciate it. Joining me on today's show is Edward Hunter and Jack Pickering from the FEZ crew. Morning, boys. Morning, Jack. Good morning. Welcome, welcome back. It's good to see you all this fine bright tuesday morning the sun is actually shining it's actually getting starting to get a bit warm we're actually starting to feel the spring air jack in in the in the in the mornings now yeah no i i uh, i haven't been outside much because of uh, because of the whole pandemic but um no i i am aiming, i am aiming to go to to venture out to the shops later on so looking forward to that <laughs> Looking forward to that indeed. But we've got some great topics to talk about today. And the main one that I want to talk about is the Gen 3 car. Mainly because we've obviously, they've delayed the Gen 2 Evo car. And obviously we've put in this cost saving measure ed of, you know, this two year cycle. So teams can either make a new car for next year or they can carry on the season six car and move that into season seven and then create a new car for season eight when the Gen 2 Evo car drops. But with the Gen 2 Evo car being delayed a season, so instead of coming out next season, season 7, as they made all that fuss about, it's coming out in season 8, that means we'd only have one year of the Gen 2 Evo car. So therefore, teams have been saying maybe we should push back Gen 3 so we give Gen 2 Evo a bit more of a run. Now, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a wise thing to do? Well, it depends on a myriad of factors, to be honest. Uh, I guess the big thing is you've got to make sure that the teams aren't going bankrupt, basically, given you know the pandemic and the situation at the moment. And Formula basically said, we would rather keep Gen 3 in Season 8, as we planned originally, but we have a lot of options there. I think they, again, said there were three options. There was uh, keep it the same, delay it a year, or maybe a sort of combination where they were going to make Gen 3 less expensive and maybe delay it uh, or, or, or not del and still not have to delay it. Uh, but I think the, it's all really down to what the teams want is what they're saying. It'll be interesting to see what the consensus is because are the big manufacturers all going to be prepared to wait another year uh, compared to, say, the privateers who uh, would some of the ones like, uh, you know, you, you think like Neo, maybe the smaller teams like perhaps Mahindra would want to get that extra time so they're not having to rush things through or, or try and break the bank to get uh, their Gen 3 car ready on time. Yeah, because Jack, that's what most of the teams were saying over these last couple of weeks is that, you know, we don't know if our motorsport program can continue during this pandemic. We don't know how long we're going to go. So therefore, people like, I'm just putting out names, not saying that these teams at all are thinking like this, but let's say Porsche, Audi, for example, you know, they've had motorsport programs. They've pulled out of programs left right and center obviously they've said formula e for both of those programs are a huge priority because of the way you know the world is shifting towards electric vehicles but if those companies for example aren't able to go racing and say look we don't have the funds to actually fund the race team then you know you'd, you'd have to sort of think as a series that okay we maybe we need to put these cost cap savings in maybe do something else with gentry to make it not so expensive yeah, I think it would be a very sensible idea to delay Gen Three by year because uh, because of the whole cost cost saving measures. Um, because as far as I'm aware, we are upping the power again in um, in in Gen Three up to three fifty, I think. And so, yeah, I th uh, I think for the manufacturers, 
it would be a better idea to delay it. And I don't think they'd have a problem with it. I think what Formula E should do is they should give them the options and then just work together with the 12 teams to um, to work out which one is best. Because per- personally, I love the look of the Gen 2 Evo. I'd love to see it out there for more than one year. No, and you know, you mentioned the specs there, so you're 100% right in terms of it producing 350 kilowatts, which will be equivalent to 470 brake horsepower. If I have a look at the specs in front of me, you know, the car is going to go through a massive change. Like, it's going to be 70 millimeters narrower than it is currently, 160 millimeters shorter. So it's going to be a completely, well, not a different car. We don't know how it's going to look, but in terms of its size and shape, it's going to be, it's going to be different. And they want rapid charging as well. So they want real fast, rapid charging. So that's a lot of, a lot of changes as well as, and this is the one Ed, that the teams are really um, complaining about and say this is going to be a hard challenge to obviously make parts and or the, the chassis to make parts and then obviously to make the hardware to go around these parts um is that the weight is going to be 120 kilograms lighter so it's going to be 780 kilograms that they're aiming for for the gen 3 car currently the gen 2 car is at 900 so that's a lot of changes that obviously the tender has gone out so obviously spark make these cars now and the tender ended on the 14th of april so spark could have put their name forward there could have been other companies to actually make the entire chassis of the car but obviously in terms of the hardware for formula e cars to make the powertrain to go to 350 and then the energy management you've also got to think the battery because if you've got 350 kilowatt battery is the race format going to change are we going to have to go back to a swap cars are we going to have to fit in 45 minutes so the battery's going to have to change there's so many things that might change and and the cost could explode ed indeed you've just sort of given me at least six or seven things to answer there but um yeah especially i guess with the battery you've got the thing where uh, at the moment it's in the first season it was made by williams advanced engineering uh, at the moment it's mclaren advanced technology that are making it matt uh, and of course the gen 2 one which was already a big step up and it'd be interesting to see how because the battery is obviously with so many cells in there, it's the heavy, it's the, probably the heaviest thing in the car. And really know they had to gain a bit of weight in order to, I think the Gen 2 car is slightly heavier than the Gen 1 car, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, uh, so that's a big challenge that's going to need to be overcome. I thought what you mentioned earlier, Jack, about when you singled out Audi and Porsche as um, having, you know, had, had to cancel a lot of programs uh, before you know, entering Formula E. And it's interesting having that conflict of, uh, I think because Volkswagen and Audi Group own both Audi and Porsche. So from a brand perspective, this is what happened in World Endurance Championship. It didn't really make any sense to have two sister brands competing at the same time. So I know it's slightly uh, irrelevant to this question, but in terms of if one of them was going to drop out, say, before Gen 3, uh, that w- you could sort of see it happening because it's happened before. No, yeah, no, you're, you're you're totally right in terms of that. But Jack, in terms of, you can understand then why, you know, the teams are saying maybe we should lay this a year so we, we know what's happening, you know, so we can get our head around this and then we can make a proper car rather than just, you know, rushing sort of just to get the Gen 3 car out. Yeah, uh, yeah, it makes uh, it makes perfect sense because, but, uh, but, uh, because, there will be so many changes from from the Gen Two Evo, from the Gen Two Evo to the Gen Three car. I with um, with the current situation, I don't think 
Um, I don't think it makes much sense because they will need uh, that uh, the manufacturer will also need some time to create the uh, to create it because it's it's a jump of 100 kilowatts. It's 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 not something that they can do in about half an hour. It takes time for it to for uh, for it to happen. So yeah, I think yeah, it makes complete sense. But I can understand why Formula E are pushing it. So from Autosport's understanding and and, and what we sort of from our research that we've been doing that Formula E's understanding is, is that they would like to keep it. Okay, they want to keep it on track, as what I mean, as in coming out in season nine. So the Gen Two Evo car only does that one year. Now, obviously, the benefits of that is is that it obviously it pushes electric vehicles forward. It pro- uh, moves the progression on, and hopefully, some of that stuff that we've done in the Gen Two Evo and the Gen Two era starts feeding into the feeding into the road cars, and the same with the Gen Three stuff. So you Formula E is really impacting. If you delay it, Ed, then I suppose. You're delaying that production of that technology, then getting into the road cars faster and then developing electric vehicles. Yeah, and that's another reason as well why the manufacturers might be against delaying it, especially because you've got, we know, we've seen a lot of stuff with Jaguar in their marketing, especially if they point out that a lot of the stuff that goes into, say, electric cars like the IPACE, which we see in the support races, the IPAC trophy, a lot of that stuff is based upon the work that they've done in Formula E and has some of the same engineers worked on it. I know uh, Nia with their EP9 car, or not, it's not a production car, but they have started with the new production cars. They had a similar sort of thing as well, and they're far from the only team. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that, that's a big, big thing in terms of um, the real world impact, I guess. But as ever with this pandemic, it's going to be surviving the pandemic in all senses of the word financially and just physically surviving it that's really important so formally is really gonna have to wait till after yeah i i i think it makes sense that if they delay it obviously because then everyone is you know you give gen 2 evo a fair shout you know you get the teams making deliveries they've made such a fuss about deliveries and obviously being such a nice car and then if you only give it a season it was like well what was the point of even changing the car you might as well just stuck with the gen 2 uh, original car and then there wouldn't have been any cost of manufacturing you're literally manufacturing one car for one season and you could argue that that is a waste of money jack well yeah i mean we see it in uh we see it in other forms of motorsports every single year that they change it however this this isn't what formula e is this formula e is a part is uh chassis wise a spec series um so yeah it it wouldn't make sense just to create one car for one year and then just like bin it bin it off. So yeah, I uh, I I would like yeah I'd I'd quite like to see it fulfill its two year run. Yeah, I think so, and especially obviously we don't know at this precise moment if they're going to carry on this two year cycle. Now we're all quite hopeful that this two year cycle for the cost saving in terms of how they decide to produce their cars only lasts during this like sort of period up till season eight, and then we go back to everyone produces a new powertrain effectively um, at the beginning of every season, but we don't know. So it'd be, again, it'd be, it'd be quite confusing. And I think it'd be really confusing for the fans really to just sort of understand, oh, this, this, that's the same car as season six, or this is the new car and, and where we are. And I think people will get lost in that. So I think just, just to wrap that up, um, overall, I think, I think on the cast, I think we all believe that it probably should be delayed. If it's not delayed, fine, but, you know, as long as all the Formula E teams are happy and that can 
you know, manage the cost of the Gen 3 applications and everything around that, then that would be great. But I want to move on because we did an interview with Alexander Sims recently and he came up with this, uh, we talked about qualifying and obviously we've talked about qualifying before, but we specifically talked about Group 1. Now, Ed, Group 1 is so bad because the track is so dirty. So can you just sort of explain to the fans really just why group one is so bad? Why is it, why is it so bad compared to group two, group three, and group four? Yeah, well, obviously formerly using exclusively street tracks, which often uh, are used just by, you would think, oh, they're used by regular cars most of the year. So there's a lot of rubber laid down. And the problem with that is that they don't really use the same Michelin tires, uh, the, the same sort of tires that formerly use. I know they're supposed to be quite road relevant and I think Michelin have done a good job in that sense but still you have this problem with the way it's all about track evolution essentially so there's a lot of um, time in between uh, obviously uh, practice two and quali that's what I mean so and um, and in that time the track sort of uh, often uh, it can either heat up or cool down and the, the grip level just drops drops dramatically in that time when you've not got anything running on track and obviously we've got like uh, the support race but that runs only after after qualifying i believe in, in between quality and the race sometimes after the race they need to fit it in that way uh, the ipc trophy but um and in, after group one there's so much more rubber laid down the temperature of the track often rises and then group two group three they've got so much more grip they can go into corners a lot faster without worrying about you know losing control on the edge and slamming into a barrier or anything like that so it often takes a lot of skill to get a good lap time out of group one you see some of the drivers can do it but sometimes on some circuits the uh they're very green as though, i think is the terminology uh, just the track is so dirty that i think some, some of them say oh it's borderline undrivable but i i, I think if, you, if that was the case they wouldn't be able to finish the lap and uh, so yeah there's a big debate about that the later groups it's definitely fell often at many tracks they have a big advantage yeah so what alexander Simpson was what you mentioned is obviously there is an hour so there's about an hour gap between fp2 i think fp2 finishes about half past 10 and then at 11 45 so an hour and 15 minutes you know jack qualifying starts and group one's out there so it's an hour and 15 minutes and we see all the time the fastest lap times are set in free practice too and when we get to group one, we're about a second, a second and a half, nearly two seconds off that pace. Now, Alexander Sims said in this interview that he, you know, he wasn't surprised at all because you've got the, there's like a whole list of BMW I-Pace cars that go out to do passenger rides. They don't dr drive on the racing line. They, they do all the, like, the drifting stuff, make it fun for the passengers. So that brings dirt onto the track. And you've got even the Jaguar I-Pace cars that might go out for their qualifying session, you know. They go out, and because they're bigger than a Formula E car, they, you know, they bring dirt onto the racing line. It doesn't actually run on the actual line. So instead of the track getting quicker, hilariously from FP2, which to qualifying, which we expect from so many other series. So when you put Formula One into that category, obviously with free practice free, to qualifying the track gets quicker. But in in Formula E, it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, no, uh, one, uh, and one thing that's also quite poignant with uh, with the Formula E qualifying is you only get one lap at full power, so you don't so you don't have enough time to like perfect it like like they do in Formula One. Formula One, they go out for twenty minutes in Q one, then fifteen in Q two, then. 
12 in Q3. And um, and so, yeah, they get to run oh, up to about 12, 15 laps over the course of um, uh, over the course of the quality. Um, whereas here you get the out lap, one, one go at 200, one lap at 250, and then that's it. Unless you get to into Super Bowl, then you have another go later on. But um, but yeah, because uh, because they aren't out on track, um, uh, because they aren't out on track doing laps through, throughout qualifying, it does mean that there is uh, it it does mean that there is this um, this track devolution. I'm gonna uh, I'm I'm gonna say from uh, from from FP two to um, uh, to qualifying along with along with the IPC trophy and then the BMW i passenger laps and uh, and so yeah it's it it isn't surprising at all that um, that there is this bit there is this massive gap between uh, free practice two and qualifying uh, also with free practice two they they may only get what two two fifty laps I think yeah. I, I think the rule is but um you can have about the thing is that the tracks in Formula E are relatively short. So on top of the, on top of the two, um, two fifty laps, you've probably done about fifteen twenty, um, laps already in um in in two hundred watt uh, kilowatt kilowatt mode or even in attack mode. So so you are prepared for that. Whereas in 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 Formula E, it really is one shot qualifying. Yeah, you're totally right. And that's exactly what Alexander Sims said. He said it's so difficult qualifying, especially in Group 1, because you have that one lap, which you know, which other series obviously don't have. It is a one-shot qualifying, as you said. Um, Ed, in terms of, like, you expect, obviously, Formula E, the track to improve, and obviously then you've got all this dirt. So, you know, Sims said it's, it's really difficult, and then it affects your race, and then it can affect your championship, as we've seen with Bird and, and Dan Brozier, obviously, being in Group 1 after starting so well in the season, then they get to that Group 1, you'd expect the track to be fairly decent, because obviously, as um, Jack says, everyone's done sort of two, uh, 200 laps, the track's gotten really clean in FP2, because you've done 45 minutes running, you've done, you know, over an hour of running in two practice sessions, the cars are basically out for that whole period of time so the track's really clean i just find it amazing how we get so dirty um between fp2 and qualifying but then you know if you get it wrong on your 1250 lap that's it your weekend is ruined yeah the track is very dirty it's almost uh, surprising we don't hear stories about uh, officials dropping little banana peels on the edge of the circuit to catch out unlucky drivers but um yeah i, I wouldn't accuse any officials of doing that but um, <laughs> But yeah, I guess it, in a way, it's sort of part of the challenge in terms of Group 1 is always this bit of a poison chalice in that if you're there, it's good because you've, you're high up in the championship, but it means that you're probably going to qualify better. It's going to be harder to qualify higher up the grid and therefore uh, you have to you usually end up having to make up uh, places in the race. Uh, so it, it's not like a death toll for anyone's race because on pretty much all Formula E tracks, there is at least a couple of places where you can overtake and some... Some tracks have, have improved a lot in for overtake. I think the changes they made to Mexico for this season are a good example of that. Uh, Mexico, of course, also one of the ones that has a really high kind of drop-off between sessions as well, ironically. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really have too much more to say. I think it's part of the challenge. A lot of people, drivers complain about it, but I think uh, what I remember when you did the interview with the Road and he said, well, a lot of the people who complain about Group 1 having to go out in Group 1 are the ones that are bad at it. And 
I don't think Oliver has had to go out that many times in Group One, to be fair. So, whereas Samba and D'Ambrosio, I know we know have for a few times, but uh, yeah, I, I'm sort of in agreement with Oliver Rowland uh, that if you if you can't if you don't like it, then do worse in the Championship, and then you won't have to be in Group One. Well, hilariously, what Alexander Sims actually said when when we spoke to him is he said he'd like you said he'd rather have scored the points in the race and be faced with the difficult qualifying session because he knows he's doing well rather than putting so much pressure in if say you haven't scored those points and then obviously you have to work your way up the race and then just score a few more points to add to your to your tally. He said obviously you're you're going to lose ground, but as long as you can fight back through in the race and just keep adding some points and just sort of mildly keep keep yourself having a margin he said that's much better than not scoring the points early on being in group three or group four and putting so much pressure on that one 250 lap to make sure that you're in you know in contention for 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 fighting for wins but if you get it wrong then that's it your championship's basically down the pan so Moving on to our final topic that I want to talk about today, and it's what drivers who are no longer in Formula E that we would like to see back. Now, I'm going to start off this. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I've just got massive soft spot for Loic Deval. You know, I had a look back for his record. It was just one driver that I would like to see back because, like, you know, I he was great to talk to. Um, he was he was a great driver and then I look back through his record you know he came in season one at Dragon Racing alongside Jerome D'Ambrosio straight away on the pace getting fourth place uh, third place two podiums one in London and one in Berlin I believe so straight away on the pace and then season two again a really strong really consistent in season two you know picking up lots of fourth lots of podiums uh, not, not not many podiums sorry just lots of fourth and lots of point scoring positions I meant to say and then obviously he had a free races towards the end of the season where he didn't score and then he scored another fourth place in London. So he was super consistent in when Dragon were actually at their peak in season one and season two. And then obviously he went to season three and the car wasn't as quick and, and the performances just seemed to seem to drop. And obviously he had his DTM commitments, which I, I suppose succumbed him to sort of leaving the series. So if there was a driver I'd love to see back, um, it'd be like the Val because he showed he was super consistent and, you know, he was he was he was a good fun around in the paddock and I think he was he was he was good to watch. So for me it was like the vow. Um Jack, who would you like to see back? Mine is Felix Rosenquist, and that's not just because I'm heavily biased towards the country of Sweden. Um <laughs> but but yeah, um no Felix Rosenquist um was brilliant in his two years yeah, I think we only had him for two years in Formula E unfortunately. But even then, he he showed that he was a force to be, he was he was a force to be reckoned with. Um, I think he I think he got his first pole position on his second appearance in Marrakesh, and then finished on the podium that race. And then uh, he won in Berlin later that um, uh, later that season. And then could have been could have been back to back if it wasn't for the pit lane incident with Heitfeld. He could have won two races back to back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could have been, and and then also last year, I do think, um, no, not last year, uh, season four even, um, mixing up my seasons. Felix was quite unlucky with the uh, mechanic. Uh, he had a mechanical, um, pe- uh, he had a mechanical problem in Mexico. He hit the um, uh, he hit the curb in Rome, which sent him out of the race. 
and there were um and uh, and there were a few other things that meant that yeah he didn't go on to do um uh, i don't think he even finished top 3 but no i do think that he was one of the uh, he, uh, he was one of the best drivers in formula e and and once sam bird wins a championship i think he will be the greatest driver not to win a formula e championship yeah i was going to ask you that question do you think you know if he was given i suppose mahindra were were a good car when he was with them but let's say he was in that tech cheetah with john eric Verne, do you think you know, or even the BMW, for example, do you think, you know, he could have really mounted a challenge for the championship? I would have loved to see that. I, uh, I, I mean, the Mahindra, the Mahindra was good, but to see him in, um, to see him in the Tachita or a BMW would be quite exciting. Yeah. Um, so Ed, who was your driver that you're looking forward to, to seeing back? Well, that you'd love to see back. Okay, I am Denard. I, uh, before we recorded, I suggested a few different ones, but I think I've decided that the person I would like to see come back is someone who I think had a lot of potential and it maybe didn't really have, you never really had a full season to show what you could have done. And that is uh, Mike Conway, uh, who of course uh, drives for the Toyota team in uh, World Endurance, but he did drive for Venturi in season two when Jack Villeneuve, after three races, basically decided that he didn't want to put himself through uh, crashing out and not doing particularly well in the Venturi. Uh, Mike Conway was brought in as a replacement for Buenos Aires that season onwards. And uh, he actually got into Super Bowl in his first appearance, I remember. And then uh, he got struggled to learn energy management. So I, I always felt like he, um, that he's, he's been a, a really quick driver, especially in endurance cars, but I think uh, in prototypes. But I think uh, some of that carried over. We definitely saw some of his speed on occasion in Formula E. Last race he did was, I believe, uh, season three. He filled in for Duval, funnily enough, you mentioned Jack, in uh, Paris. In Paris, in, yeah. In season three in that uh, Faraday Future Car, which I believe is also one of your favourite liveries. That, yeah, I'm sort of combining several episodes uh, that people may not have seen. But, <laughs> but anyway, I think if any team was struggling for drivers, if you're a team that's a bit lower down the field, and you could do a heck of a lot worse than go for um, than go for Mike, Mike Conway. No, Mike Conway, obviously, he was so quick when he came in. And it was sort of a surprise. Like, we weren't expecting him to, to do as well as he did. Like, I, you know, thinking of other drivers, you know, imagine having Scott Speed season one just completely, boom, straight away in Miami, first race that he did. And he set the world alight. Like, what could he have done if he, if he had a season? Jack, is there any other names maybe... Um, just before we end, anyone else that you think might, you know, you'd love to see? I did have a list. I have since lost that list. Um, <laughs> but so I'm now going to have to think of think of people. Tom, uh, Tom Dillman, uh, he was fantastic in the Venturi. Didn't have a great season last year in Neo. But who, but who would? Yeah, yeah. even off the turf, he to score a few points. Yeah, I'm. I am trying to think of other drivers. Uh, Stefan Zarazan, I think. Uh, I, I think we had a little chat about before the start he he actually did um he actually did a very good job in seasons one two and three um in season three he um he left venturi half the way half the way through went to went into cheetah and um i think he's uh, i think he um scored a podium i think in montreal but um yeah i think um there are quite a few names that Sarazen's I, kind I, of getting on a big formula. Yeah, but he replaced Esteban Gutierrez, and Esteban Gutierrez, I, he wasn't too, he wasn't awful in that tech cheater. Just, I don't know why. 
obviously I think F1 and obviously that was still his priority trying to get back into that and obviously he's managed to I mean, get into IndyCar the... swooped him away yeah and and that's true as well that yeah he had that test Mara Engel I think is also extremely extremely quick got some really solid results and again for Ventura you've probably been dropped yeah, that was sort of a surprise one, Mauro Engel. Sort of like you'd expect him. He, he he didn't look like he deserved to be dropped. He was super consistent in that venture. So obviously, if he was able to get a seat back, then I'm sure he'd love to to jump back into it. But boys, we've sort of run out of time. Again, a pleasure to talk to you. Yep, thank you. Cheers, Jack. Um, remember, if you're really enjoying the content, you can hit that like and subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. We also have a Patreon page if you love us that much. You can help us sort of one day maybe perform these from a studio rather than our bedrooms once we get out of lockdown. Um, but thank you so much for watching today's show. You've been watching the FEZ Show and we will see you very soon.